Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. Uh, This is part two of our evangelism lab. And last night was a huge, like, download of information, right? It was, like, a lot of information. Today, it's not going to be as much information as it is us filling ourselves up. Can't remember who said it, but somebody said this is the task of every man, and I would say it's a task for every woman, too. Um, The task of every man of God is to empty what's full, fill what's empty, and scratch what itches. I don't know what the scratch what itches part means, but I totally understand the first two things. Empty what's full. When God fills you up, when God fills you up with his love and his spirit and his forgiveness and his grace, we are to empty ourselves out to others, to give that to others. But here's what happens. When you start emptying yourselves to others, you know what you need to do? You need to run back to the Father You need to run back to God, and you need to fill yourself back up. So when you do what we talked about last night, and you're sharing the gospel, you're emptying yourself, and that is a good thing to do. That's a healthy thing to do, because what happens if I filled a glass up, and I just let water sit in it for days and days and days, months, weeks, years? It would start to develop algae and become disgusting, and no one would ever want to drink it. Do what? Hey, yeah, um... If a couple leaders could help me, part two is right here. Um, Leaders are going to hand that out while I'm talking to you, okay? You can put this in your binder. So go ahead to the last page of your binder there. Open it up. That was a good call by Wyatt um, or by April. We're going to give you part two. (laughs) We're going to give you part two, part dos. Sorry about that. All right, do we all have our, uh, have our handouts now? Did anybody not get one? Abby, Kaylee over there, they need one. Um, everybody else got it? If you don't have one, raise your hand. Everybody good? Everybody happy? All right, we can continue. So like I was saying, your task is to empty what's full and fill what's empty. So in order to be someone who doesn't just do this once a year during D-Now or on a mission trip, but to be someone who shares their faith on a consistent basis. After you empty yourself, you got to fill yourself. Because if you're not cooperating with the Holy Spirit, 
you will not be effective in reaching others because there's this salvation math that I want to talk about. And this is our first slide. Salvation is not a do-it-yourself project. You know, as you get older, you're going to learn there's things you can do around the house. You go to Lowe's, you talk to the guru, and if you want to build a fence in your front yard, you go to Lowe's, you talk to the guy in the fencing department, he'll sell you fences, you watch a couple YouTube videos on how to put it up, and you put it up, and you do it yourself. You can't do that with salvation. You can't take the first part of this lab and say, okay, here's the Romans road. If I read this off verbatim, if I read this word for word to the person I want to reach, they will automatically get saved. That's not how it works. Here's how salvation works. So cooperating with the Holy Spirit starts with understanding the math. You didn't think you'd be getting into math here, did you? But here's how the math works. You have one unsaved person. Right? You can't get anyone saved if there's not an unsaved person. I think we all understand that. But what do we know about an unsaved person? What has to happen for them to be saved? What's their part in, in this salvation story? Drew? They have to be drawn. We're going to get to that. Because they don't do the drawing, do they? Someone else draws them. What do they have to do? They have to confess. We learned that last night, right? So they confess. What else does the person do? They believe. So in order for there to be a salvation, you have to have an unsaved person who confesses and believes. What else do we need to have? What other, no, what other, per, we talked about believe, confess, so we've taken care of this unsaved person. Who else is involved in this salvation story? Someone who loves Christ also known as a, a Christian, right? So you have one unsaved, per, unsaved person plus one Christian. What is the responsibility of the Christian? Do you put a gun to someone's head and say, believe in Jesus? What's the responsibility of the Christian? Share their story, but there's like, and that, that helps to do one particular thing. Share the gospel. Do you do that by like living it out? You do it what? Faith comes by what? Hearing. So what is the duty of the Christian? Speak. Gospel. So in order for there to be a salvation, you have to have one unsaved person who believes and confesses, and I should add to this, hears the gospel, right? They hear the gospel. One unsaved, per, one saved person who speaks the gospel, does, is, that, is that it? Is that good? Is that all you need for someone to be saved? One person telling the gospel, one person responding? Well, you need to disciple them. So that's also a responsibility of the Christian is the disciple. Are there any other people involved in this process? Or do you just have one Christian? I heard a couple answers, but I didn't hear anything like substantial. I didn't hear anyone like shout something they're confident with. Jesus, okay, yeah, we know Jesus saved that person. But is Jesus involved in the salvation process? Drew gets the point. Plus, the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you this. 
what is the job, or I shouldn't say job, what, what does the Holy Spirit do in this process of salvation? He draws. He convicts. Yeah, he indwells. He takes over your body. What else? Say what? He got, oh, this is a good one. And this happens after the salvation. We'll, we'll kind of make a line here because the Holy Spirit you know, is not done with someone after they're saved. So he, when a person accepts Christ, he indwells them. He guides into truth. That's actually part of the verse that's up here. Um, anybody? <laughs> Avery? He motivates us. Um, we'll say motivates. It's also, um, there's a very, very big fancy motivates. There's a fancy word. It sounds like a disease, but it's not a disease. Sanctification. He sets us apart and he makes us more like Christ. Is there anything else we're missing here? I think, you, I, think you've conv- I think you've found them all. We see the Holy Spirit um, opens the mind of people to understand the gospel, convicts them. We should put minds and hearts. So look at, let, me, let me just show you this. What does an unsaved person do? They hear, believe, they confess. What is our responsibility as Christians We share the gospel and disciple and look at everything the Holy Spirit does. So as we're doing evangelism, as we're trying to reach people with the gospel, how sad is it that most Christians, and I think this is why we get discouraged, most Christians think it's this and this. And they miss out on all this. And we wonder why people don't come to Christ. It's because we're not cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Check out this verse. This is an incredible verse that Jesus shares with his disciples. We're going to spend the most time on this, and then we're going to hit the rest, because the rest, is, the rest kind of just is all downhill after this. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Very truly I tell you, it's, very, it's for your good that I'm going away. Hold on, stop, hit the brakes. What if Jesus came in here and took the microphone from me and started teaching you? I'd be totally cool with that. We'd all be totally cool with that. We'd all be incredibly blessed if Jesus were physically here speaking through this microphone, teaching us about the Bible. Wouldn't that be awesome? Teaches us for like a solid hour. We start getting hungry. He multiplies little Caesar's pizza for all of us. We learn some more. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is like, I'm leaving. But it's a good thing for you. It's a good thing for you that I'm leaving. We'd be like, what? Jesus is teaching us, he's physically with us, and he says, I'm taking off, but it's good for you that I'm leaving. We'd be like, "Uh, Jesus, uh, no comprendo. (laughs) I don't understand what you're saying. And the disciples are like, Jesus, why in the world are you leaving us? And how in the world can it be a good thing that you're leaving us? So he kind of gives the answer. He says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. So Jesus says, when I leave, This person, the advocate, is going to come to you. If I go, I'll send him to you. And here's what's going to happen when he comes. When he comes, he'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin. So he's going to convict about sin and righteousness and judgment, like we talked about. 
because people do not believe in me, about righteousness, because I'm going to be with the Father, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So he promises something better for us than Jesus being with us. Whoa! And it's the Holy Spirit. Now, make sure you understand, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not this extra person. It's not like the force in Star Wars. He's God, and He is the one who does the work of salvation. We are just being obedient to God, sharing the gospel and being willing to disciple them. The unsafe person, they're responding to what the Holy Spirit has illumined, has opened their minds up to. So tell me this, what should be our most important task? What should be our most important focus if we want to reach others with the gospel? It's up on the board at the top. We should cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is doing in people's lives. People that the Holy Spirit is drawing to Christ, we should be investing in their lives. Um, people that the Holy Spirit is opening their minds up to understand the, the, the gospel, we should be sharing the gospel with them. we got to learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to bring our first whiteboard question up. So get your whiteboards ready. You guys ready to be on the ball here? Um, Here's the first one. I'm going to give you a minute on this one because this one, I'm kind of stretching it a little bit because we're going to get more into this. But here's the question. What are some practical ways, what are some real world ways that you can cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is doing in someone's life? There should be a question mark at the end of that sentence. I'm going to give you a minute now. All right, it's been a minute. Time's up. Um, let's start over here with Dylan. Praying for God to help. Praying for, them to, for God to guide them into truth. That's good. David says prayer. Pray for him. Submit to the Holy Spirit and follow. That's good. Josh, pray for the person. Pray with the person. And stay close. I like it. Uh, George's, the three stooges and George, they've named themselves. Do what the Holy Spirit draws you to do. Listen to the Holy Spirit. He's going to lead you. That's great. Pray with them. I like it. Um, help disciple them. Know his plan. We know what the Holy Spirit's up to. It's on the board, right? So know the plan. Tell the gospel. Then God has it. Be close and invest. I like it. Wow. They've come up with a three-point plan. I like this. Always ask for guidance through prayer. That's really good. 
explain things about Christ with the person and why they should let Christ into their lives. Let the Holy Spirit take over. I like that. Let the Holy Spirit, you can't just say take over. You got to say, let the Holy Spirit take over. Stay close to God. I like that. Um, Pray. Read the Bible. We don't know what God's up to unless we know what he's telling us in the Bible. That's great. Pray. Read the Bible and show kindness to them. Pray with them. Invest in their personal life. Be there to meet their physical and spiritual needs. That's awesome. That's awesome. God is up to stu- God is up to things. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I thought I invest, encourage, and show them how to live like a Christian. Love them and witness. Some really you guys have really good ideas. Some really good ideas. And that's what we're to do. We're supposed to figure out what God is up to in people's lives, and we jump on it and we attack it with a vengeance. So the next thing that we need to talk about, we talked about the math, right? We talked about one unsaved person who confesses, hears, and believes, one Christian who speaks the gospel, disciples them, plus co- the cooperation with the Holy Spirit is the recipe for salvation. But if we want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, the one thing we need to do more than anything is have faith. We need to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. One thing I realized as a, as a a kid who grew up in church, went to a Christian school, went to a Christian college. Something that totally rocked my world later in my life was realizing the power of the Holy Spirit. Understanding that it's not just a concept that you learn in your Bible, but it's a person. You've probably heard this said before, but have you really understood it? God exists in three persons. What three persons does God exist in? Throw it out there. God the Father... God the Son, and God what? The Holy Spirit. We understand about God the Father. We've heard about Jesus, God the Son, but this Holy Spirit thing is very mysterious to us. And a lot of times, we use the adjective, the Holy Spirit. How odd would it be if we said cooperating with the Jesus? Or with the God? The Holy Spirit is a person. Just like Jesus. Just like God. He's not just like Jesus and just like God. He is God. You want to blow your mind. Next time you're alone and just kind of thinking by yourself. You know, I do my best thinking in the shower and laying awake in bed. So next time you're in the shower, next time you're laying awake in bed, think about this. How can one person exist in three people? And how can three people exist in one person? Only God can do that, right? People have tried to come up with analogies to explain, like, how that can happen. They've used the analogy of H2O, like water. Like under 32 degrees Fahrenheit, it's a solid. Above 32 degrees Fahrenheit, it's a liquid. And above, two, I think it's 212 degrees, is that right? It's a, it's a gas. You know, so water can exist in three different states, but it's the same substance. That's kind of similar. But here's the thing. God can exist at the same time. God exists in the, at the same time in all three people at the same time incredibly powerful and all three of them have been to earth god the father walked and talked with adam and eve in the garden before the fall before sin jesus came to earth john 1:14 the word became flesh and dwelt among us god in a body and then if you read acts chapter 2 you'll realize 2000 years ago 
the Holy Spirit came to earth. God came to earth in the form of the, of the Holy Spirit, and he's still here with us, and he lives inside us. So if you look at your Bible, you'll see that when God makes a promise to people, it's usually connected with a command. God made a big promise to Abraham because God told Abraham, move away from your family, start your own nation, and I'll take care of you. God made Noah a promise when he told Noah to build the ark. God made his disciples, us, a promise, and this is the incredible promise. I want you to look at these verses. I want you to look at these verses. Matthew chapter 28, this is our big verse, right? 18 through 20, Jesus' final words. We've read this verse, but we haven't focused on this portion of it. All authority in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. There's the promise, or there's the command. Here's the promise. And surely I am with you. Underline those two words if you have your Bible with you. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now think about this. Jesus is telling this to his disciples as he's, this would, be, this would creep me out anyway, levitating up to heaven. As he is leaving them, he's saying, I'm with you always. That would be like me ditching you for the rest of the day, and I've got the window rolled down in my car. I'm squealing the tires, pulling, saying, I'll be with you guys all day as I'm leaving. The disciples are thinking, what in the world is going on? How can Jesus be with us if he's left us? He sends the Holy Spirit. He promises the Holy Spirit. And that promise is tied into what? His command to make disciples. Look at Mark chapter 16. These are Jesus' last words as recorded in Mark chapter 16. He said to them, go in all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then his disciples went out and preached everywhere, Underline this part. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied him. Jesus went to heaven, but he was still with the disciples. How's that possible? The Holy Spirit. Look at Acts 1.8. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Look at John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus promises his disciples. This is the passage where he tells them he's going to be leaving. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever, the spirit of, the tr the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because he, it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. So here is faith, where faith comes into the equation. God has given us an incredibly overwhelming task. It's to reach the world with the gospel. What's the promise attached to this command? Just shout it out if you, if you, if you think you know. What's the promise attached to this command? He'll never leave us. That in this process, God is with us. God is with us. When we go down to Markham Terrace, God is going with us. When we go to the city mission and to the fire stations, the police station, God is with us. God promises that you're not going to do this alone. 
you're actually going to play a very small part in it. I'm sending my Holy Spirit. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. I'm going to come in the form of the Holy Spirit to do the work. I want you to be obedient and come with me. I am with you always. So there's a promise there. This is the promise. But the Holy Spirit, when he lives inside us, sometimes we have a hard time understanding that. and We have a hard time seeing that. So what we need to do and what God has called us to do is act on faith. And how do you act on faith? What does the Bible say about faith? There's a verse about faith in the Bible. Does anybody know what that verse says? I'll start it out for you, okay? It says, faith is the... I I know you learned this one in Awana, some of you. Faith is the substance of things that are hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. So if we act on faith that the Holy Spirit is acting in us, what's that going to look like to the world? It's going to look a little risky, isn't it? It's gonna look, so here's what I want you to understand. Faith, this is going to go against every English teacher you've ever had in your life. You want to see how you spell faith? Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Faith is taking a step that to the world that doesn't have the power of the Holy Spirit guiding them, they're like, why in the world would you do that? Why would you stay in a stranger's house all weekend and go downtown to witness to people in the hood? Why would you do that? It's because they don't see what we see. They don't see the need that we see. They don't see the promise that God has given us. So see, what you're doing today is incredible because you are spelling faith, R-I-S-K. You're going to talk to people even though you're the most shy person to ever walk the face of the earth. You're going to deal with people that are hard to deal with even though you're the most impatient person on the face of the earth. You're going to take what the world considers to be a risk you're going to do because it's the logical decision of someone who's cooperating with the Holy Spirit. So we've got the math. One unsaved person who confesses, hear, hears, confesses, and believes. One Christian who shares the gospel, speaks the gospel, and is willing to disciple them. Plus the cooperation of this Christian with the leading, guiding, convicting, moving of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of the unsaved person. You've got the math. And you've got the faith. You're trusting that it's not what you're doing, but it's what the Holy Spirit's doing. There's one more component if we want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And this is the one that we're going to get moving on a little bit. It's prayer. It's prayer. Every time, just about every time you see somebody accepting Christ as their Savior in the New Testament, you know what it's usually started by? It's started by a Christian who's absolutely dug in to praying for them. Check out some of these examples in Scripture. This is the first prayer meeting ever. It's in Acts chapter 1. Jesus has just left. Remember, he said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and they're waiting for it. So they all gather together in a house. About a hundred some of them. 
And in Acts chapter 14, which, or chapter 1, verse 14, it says they all joined constantly together in prayer. Let me turn a page here. They all joined constantly together in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So here you see in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, there's this prayer meeting going on. They, they don't know what else to do. They've got, they, they don't, they're like, we're waiting for this Holy Spirit. Jesus said he's going to come. He's not here yet. We don't know what to do. We better pray. So they pray, 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 pray. And then when you turn over to Acts chapter 2, what you see is during that prayer meeting, all of a sudden, fire comes into the house, but the house doesn't catch on fire, but the people catch on fire because God puts his fire inside of them. It says the Holy Spirit comes in like a rushing wind. Have you ever stood... I wouldn't suggest this, but my friends and I were pretty stupid. When trains would be going by, we would take sticks. You ever done this? Don't do this. We'd take these long sticks, and we would, like, hold them up to the train, and the train would hit the stick. As, you know, it would go, duh, 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 duh. really, probably not safe. But the sound of standing right next to a freight train is just overpowering. The Bible says that when these people were praying and the Holy Spirit came down on them, it was like the, an overpowering sound, like a rushing wind, like a tornado. Fire came into, the, into the upper, that upper room they were praying in, and then all of a sudden it said everybody had flames of fire sitting above their heads. That power, the Holy Spirit, came down, filled them up just like he's filled up me and you, and then they go out and they start preaching the gospel after that prayer meeting. Here's what happens. This is, this is the end of this message that Peter preached of the gospel. Peter replied, Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and children, and for all who are far off, for all for whom the Lord will call. Here's what happened. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourself from the corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About three thousand were added to their number that day the prayer meeting grew from a hundred people the first church to three thousand one hundred people in one day because God's people came together and prayed because they cooperated with the power of the Holy Spirit they stepped out on faith and they started sharing the gospel it's really incredible here's another story I like this one a um, couple months later there's a guy named Philip. He's a Christian. He's talking to God, and this angel of the Lord says to him, go south to the road, the desert road that goes all the way down from Jerusalem to Gaza. He's like, go out, on, like, go out into the sticks. Go out on Route 10. Go down to Salt Rock. You know, and, 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 and I've got something for you there. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandak. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip is praying. God tells him to go somewhere. He cooperates. He goes. And there's this guy that's like, hey, can you explain the Bible to me? <laughs> and he's like, uh, sure. And this high-ranking official in the Ethiopian government gets saved. Here's another example. I love this one. About midnight, Paul and Silas, two missionaries, were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners, wait, they were in jail. They were singing and praying in jail. Other prisoners were listening to them, and guess what happens? This giant earthquake comes, coincidence, I think not, breaks all the chains of the prison, so all the prisoners are all of a sudden free, 
The jailer's like, oh, no. He called for the lights. He's like, guys, light your lanterns. He rushes in. He falls trembling before Paul and Silas. And you know what he asks them? What must I do to be saved? The guy who locked him up is now asking them how he can be saved. Because even though they were in jail and they were locked up, they were praying and singing to God. Something about prayer, I can't exactly explain it because it's one of those, it's shrouded in the mystery of God because God can do whatever he wants to and God has a plan. Yet you see example after example after example in the Bible where when people pray, it touches God's heart and it moves his hand. I can't explain it. All I know is every time I see people praying, I see people getting saved. So what do we do with that? Let me share with you an example. We've talked about some examples in the Bible. I'm not going to touch on this a lot. Um, If you're part of our prayer lab in the summer, we talk about this a lot. But this doesn't just happen in the Bible. This happens in American history. This happened in the history of our country, that people have prayed and God has saved others. In the year 1730, there was this little church in New England. We think, our, you know, we think West Virginia is little. New England at that time was little. And there's this little bitty church. And they had been praying that God would break through into their community and people in their community would be saved. It was a town of a 1,000 people. They had a young pastor. His name was Jonathan Edwards. You may have heard of him at this point. But he started preaching the gospel every Sunday. The church members were like, hey, we'll pray. Pastor Jonathan, we'll pray if you'll preach the gospel. So that was the deal. They started praying. Just a couple of them got together and prayed and prayed and prayed that people would be saved. He started preaching the gospel. Within six months, 300 people in the town of 1,000 had gotten saved. Can you imagine what would happen if 30% of Huntington got saved in six months? It would be pretty crazy. And it didn't just stop in this little town in New England. It started spreading all across the country. Um, Jonathan Edwards wrote of this movement, the whole town seemed to be full of the presence of God. They said that um, um, Jonathan Edwards was not a very fun preacher to listen to because he would write his sermons out word for word and literally just read his sermons in a monotone voice. That's how he preached the gospel. He didn't have gimmicks. He wasn't an entertaining personality. But you know what he had? He had people in his church who were cooperating with the Holy Spirit through prayer. Ordinary people, an ordinary guy who was crazy enough, risky enough to just preach the gospel, and fire spread across America. It was called the Great Awakening, when pretty much the entire nation went back to God. And it didn't just happen then. In In 1857, 1857 is what's called the Second Great Awakening. And I'm not going to get into a lot of detail, but the church was on the decline. People were stopping going to church because all these things were happening to where factories would go like seven days a week. People had to work um, every day of the week. So people are just, well, I just just can't make it to church. So what happens when people stop going to church? They stop taking the things of God seriously. So like the church and Christianity is in a decline, kind of like it is now in America. But what happens? A guy named Jeremiah Lamphier, as we would say in a... As we would say it in the U.S., Jeremiah Lampier, (laughs) because that's how we talk in the U.S., so we'll call him Jeremiah Lampier. He was a businessman in New York City. He quit all his business to start a prayer meeting. Downtown New York City, and he started with six guys, six dudes. 
and they met and they prayed during the lunch hour in New York City. His team soon grew over to 10,000 people in New York City. They, they couldn't find a building big enough to have their prayer meeting, so they had to split their prayer meeting up all across New York City. And then it spread from New York City all across the country. During an 18-month period of, from September 1857 to 1859, an estimated 2 million people, or 1 15th of the U.S. population, was saved. Isn't that wild? They, were, they wrote, uh, people documented this awakening and wrote of this awakening, and there were stories about how there, there was so much prayer going on for the souls of people in the, in the United States that there were ships that were, you know, because back then you didn't fly airplanes, there were ships that were coming over from Europe. And as those ships were approaching the U.S. mainland, people just became convicted of their sin, and they started repenting of their sin and getting saved on these ships. So when the captain would dock, the first thing he would ask for was not for supplies, but he would ask for a pastor to come talk to everyone who had just been convicted of their sin. It was nothing special. It was because people were cooperating with the Holy Spirit through prayer. So what do you think would happen if our church, what do you think it would happen if just our youth group started cooperating with the Holy Spirit and praying for people who are unsaved? So how do we do that? How do we pray for unsaved people? We just, you know, because if you're like me, I have to have a plan or I, my prayer lasts like a minute. You know, I'm like, well, I prayed for everything I can. What do I do now? How do you pray for others? Pray for workers. Look at it. We're getting ready for a whiteboard moment, so get ready. Pray for workers. Jesus is talking to his disciples. We talked about this verse a little bit last night. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers to his harvest field. Remember, last, what was the question we asked about this verse last night? It was, what is the harvest and who are the workers? So what, do we, or what is the harvest? Where is the harvest and who is the harvest? <laughs> so what do we decide? Who is the harvest? People who are lost. Where is the harvest? So here's the next thing we need to pray for. Jesus told us to pray for this. He said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into his harvest field. This is a 30-second whiteboard moment. What do you think would happen if you started praying that God would send workers to his harvest field? I'll give you 30 seconds on this one. What do you think would happen if you started praying that God would send workers to his harvest field? What do you think would happen if you started praying that God would send laborers, workers to his harvest field? We think that God would send workers, angels, to harvest his crop. God would definitely send people. More people would get saved. I can guarantee it. He would send us who prayed. I like that one. He, I, somebody needs to take a picture of David holding that up. Just take a picture of that because that's pretty cool. Take a picture. I just like the way David worded I don't know if it was David that worded it or it was Wyatt that worded it, but I like the picture of David there. Jesus commands us to pray this prayer, but be careful because when you pray this prayer, guess what happens? 
he might just send you. I like that. People would go to Christ. God would send the workers. He got it. God would send you. More people would feel compelled to go, and we would be called. The more workers, the more people who get saved. He would do it because it's reflecting glory back to him. More people saved than even more workers. More people would get saved. Did I get everybody? Did I miss anybody? I think I got everyone. Yeah, here's the crazy thing. Because Jesus asked the disciples to pray that prayer, and what happened to the disciples? They became the workers. Here's something that's really interesting. The more I pray for people to be saved, the more motivated I am to be one of the workers. So pray for workers. Here's another prayer we find in the Bible. Pray for your nation. We see in the Bible that people prayed for the nation that they were a part of. The nation would turn back to God. And Anybody here think, you know, we need to be turning back to God as a nation? You know, when we're selling pot brownies at Midland, we got to turn back to God, right? Man, we, and I, I'm, I'm not really joking about that. We need people to come to Christ. We need lives changed in our nation. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was so burdened for his nation. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, he said, Brothers and sisters, it's my heart's desire and my prayer to God that the Israelites may be saved. Here's another thing we should pray for. Pray for specific people. God's not just worried about mass crowds coming to him. He's worried about individual people. Every person that walks the face of the earth was handcrafted by God and needs to be reconciled back to their creator. Look at this verse in Luke chapter 15, verse 4. Whiteboard moment coming up for this one. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and still loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one lost sheep until he finds it? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. God cares about individual people. So here's what I want you to do. This is not a whiteboard moment per se. This is an index card moment. So I hope you got your index card. If you don't have an index card, raise your hand and we'll get, if you lost it, um, we'll get you another one. But I really want, this index card is going to turn into your prayer card that you're going to keep with you for the rest of your life. So on that index card, I'm going to give you 30 seconds here. Write the names down of five unsaved people that you'll commit to pray for. Just do this on your own. Five seconds. 
All right. So um, if you were, I really hope you're able to find five people. If you weren't able to find five people, borrow someone to pray for off someone at your table. Okay, if you couldn't come up with five people, commit to pray for someone your friend wants to see saved. I do that a lot. I steal other people's prayer targets. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. So we're praying to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We got prayer, it matches our will with God's will. We think prayer is about changing, changing God's mind, but it's more about changing our heart to be in line with God's heart. So we're praying for workers. We're praying for our nation. We're praying for individual people. There's one more component of if we want to pray to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we got to pray without ceasing. In Luke chapter 18, this is one of my favorite chapters on praying, and it's the words of Jesus. Jesus tells it as his disciple a parable, and the parable is important, but I want you to understand Jesus' purpose behind the parable. And it says it in John chapter, Luke chapter 18, verse 1. It says, Jesus told his disciples a parable so that they would always pray and never give up. If you got your Bible close, I would encourage you on Matthew chapter 18 to circle these two words, always pray and then circle these three words, never give up. It's God's will, if you want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, it's God's will for you to never give up on people. Never give up. Can I tell you a story real quick, and then we'll get out of here. We're, we're right on time. Can I tell you a story real quick? Maybe some of you were there. A lot of you probably weren't. But on a Sunday night, about two years ago probably, we had a special service in our main service. And in this service, our pastor had us on a card, on an index card, every person, write down the name of one unsaved person we were praying for to receive Jesus. So I prayed about it. God led me to write a particular person's name on my index card. And then what our pastor had us do was to trade our index card with someone else. And we would commit to praying for their person if they would commit to praying for our person. I gave my card to someone you may not know. He was an older guy in our church. His name is Bill Bowen. Anybody know Bill Bowen? He would sit right next to the youth section. And every t he would always have a mint, and you'd always be able to hear his or hard candy. You'd always be able to hear his candy wrapper. Whenever pastor would say something funny, he'd like kind of look back and laugh. He'd always wear Hawaiian shirts. Great, great, great man. Well, I exchanged cards with him, and I committed to pray for his person. He committed to pray for my person. Well, Mr. Mr. Bill, every time I would see him at church, he'd say, I'm still praying for, and he would say, he would say the guy's name. Every time he'd see me, he'd say, I'm still praying for, and he'd say the guy's name. Um, about a year ago, Mr. Bill found out he had cancer, and he got sick, and he was in um, kind of an intermediate care facility for a long time, and I got to visit him a few times, and even though his mind was starting to go, and sometimes you go, he'd be asleep, sometimes you go, and he just wasn't, because of the sickness, wasn't able to think straight, but when he was thinking straight, he would always say, I'm still praying for, and he'd tell me the guy's name. Last week, Pastor and uh, Pastor Tim and I were at a funeral in St. Albans when we came back. And on our way back, we found out that Mr. Bill was in the hospital and he was not, probably not going to make it. And as we, so we stopped and we went in and visited. And as we were visiting, yeah, we all kind of had turns kind of going in the room and going in and going out. And 
as he was there, you can kind of barely understand what he was saying, but he was telling different people that he was still praying for them. And I heard him say that he was still praying for that one guy that was on the card. It was really incredible. He passed away on Thursday. Um, But now he's at the throne of God, and I can guarantee he's still making intercession for that person. If there's ever an example of praying and never giving up, it would be Mr. Bill. Um, Who is it that's on your list that you just think there is absolutely no way? Jesus told you this story. Jesus speaks to you so that you always pray and never give up. In, in the epistle of Peter, it tells us that it's, God is slow in keeping his promises because it's not his will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So we never give up on people that we pray for. When we never give up, we're cooperating with the Holy Spirit. So this is the last thing. This isn't necessarily something for you to do, uh, or I mean, it's something for you to write down. I want you to keep this index card. It's got the plan of salvation on it. It's also got the names of the people that you were going to be praying for and you're committing to pray for. I want you to keep that in your Bible and maybe even put this verse on it, write this verse on it or write the words of this verse on it that you can even personalize it and maybe put on there, Jesus told me to always pray and never give up. I would just write it on there like that. Jesus told me to always pray and never give up. Never give up. So this is the last thing that we're going to do together. Then we're going to eat some lunch and we're going to get ready for our block party. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.